0: Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Christina Ho, a Hong Kong-born-and-raised fashion designer-turned-airline pilot who works at one of the world's leading airlines. As a fine arts graduate, Christina tells us about how she became a pilot after starting off her aviation career as a flight attendant. Welcome to Proudly Asian, Christina. It's lovely to have a female pilot like you to be chatting with us today. Thank you for having me today, and I'm so looking forward to our chat. Yeah, so, Christina, how have you been? I saw on Instagram that you've been very active in terms of attending events and volunteering, as well as doing some recruitment promotion work for the airline that you're working for. How have you been? Um, yes, uh, recently
1: is quite busy with all these stuff, and also um, for I'm uh, working for Fly Ping Also, is something uh, with the breast cancer uh, in Hong Kong, and then mixed up with the aviation vibe. Um, every year is actually in happens in October, but actually the preparation work starts really really early. Now we're also preparing for all those. Um, items that we're going to raise fun with. And then uh, we also do campaigns on it and a lot of work behind it, but it's very fun and work with my colleagues and
0: yeah. Yeah, and I know our listeners might not be able to see it. But for those who are going to watch the recap video of this episode, you guys will notice that um, Christina has this really beautiful background going on that's like branded for Proudly Asian. So I just want to give you a shout out for having made this amazing background, which reminds me that I should probably make a background for myself as well. But thank you so much for joining us here. And I know that we will get into your career as a female pilot very soon, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are actually quite curious about. But first, I would like to get to know more about you, Christina. Let's start off with a question that I ask every single guest on Proudly Asian, which is who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? So um, I'm Christina Ho,
1: and I born and raised in Hong Kong as a normal local girls. And my families are very traditional, um, and I'm first child. So when I was younger, my my parents just think that I'm not very smart because I, I'm being quite quiet at being a good girl at home, and um, I ask a lot of so why to things and they just feel like oh she doesn't understand anything and then i also eat very slow i still remember um my grandma house is in kowloon city which is the old airport it is and uh every time i eat very very slow and can never finish a bowl of rice they'll put me uh on the washing machine in the balcony and then on top of that and i'll watch one planes go over and i will swallow one bites of the food and it takes an hour to finish one bowl of rice so they're kind of like oh i don't know why christina did that but it's just something that interests me and makes me really finish the bowl of rice, which is a story that I can
0: remember from my grandma. So your connection with planes already went way back since you were mm. a child. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, until I recall it when I was uh, when I get older
0: that's amazing so I mean I just want to get into a little bit more about growing up in Hong Kong since you were born and raised in the city you know what was the experience growing up in the city for you and how did those experience inform your subsequent career choice and you know your your personal values as well if you ask
1: me about like what we eat and what we what the culture that I was in, I was in a very very local Hong Kong culture. Um, what I have for breakfast or stuff like that is like the sausage bun my mom would prepare for me, and then wrap it well and then put it in my uh, school bag. And also, um, I go to very traditional school, which is very focusing on the academic uh to for you to go to a good school, a good university, which something that I also feel a little bit is also one of the reasons that I I feel like, oh, I, I want to go somewhere else in the world to just explore. Because uh, the school that I went to in uh in a secondary school, um, they have uh, very less uh arts and sports classes and only fulfill the criteria from from the government that you have a few years of these and then after that all turns into your English class all turns into your uh, whatever academic classes. So then I thought having that feeling of, um, I just want to look for somewhere just to explore, maybe somewhere else in the world is different. So I asked my parents if they can let me go study abroad and then but actually they don't have a plan like that for me they they kind of want to keep me on the side maybe i'm the first child I, maybe they just feel like i'm so young still very little and i i don't look big i'm so tiny and so and then the, i i just don't know where my thoughts come from and i just go online click on different different um scholarship and then just go f- go for it after school and didn't let my moms know and i just do presentations and stuff and then end up this was one taking me that i can go to kansas in uni uh in U- usa and then i tell my mom oh mom is free can i go and then this time she say yes so that's kind of like bring me to a journey in another world of the uh in another world yeah
0: that's crazy i mean you're so inspiring because you decided that you wanted to go abroad and then you just worked really hard and made your dream happen basically for yourself and i could see that you've always been doing the same thing you know even now you're a pilot you're still also carrying on doing some illustration work and so i can see that you're a very a very hard-working person and i really admire the energy of yours but then i want to know you know eventually you you became a fine arts uh, major, and then you also started working as a fashion designer. Could you tell us about, you know, the fashion industry? Is it as glamorous as it looks? And is fashion designer your dream job as a child?
1: Um, when I was a child, I'm more knowing that I want to do something in arts. So I start with, I actually start with the fine arts um classes like uh, oil paintings ceramics those i can just stuck in that room for three days and not coming out um i didn't i do not know i did i have food or anything but i just keep going on but um and then but after a couple years in there i just feel like um oh, i actually like connecting with people i i i feel like if my arts were just put in the art gallery is not bad but it's kind of like my perspective giving to others only. There's one way communications. Then I thought maybe if I created a cup or created something that maybe like created a mug and then you pour your favorite coffee in it every morning and making your day, I feel like that is more meaningful. So I then I go into fashion industry because I want something that making people confidence and make their life better. So that is kind of a switch why why um I kind of go into design and not not continue being being the artist that painting and stuff like that, and for the fashion industry um I actually work in a company that's uh is a b two b company it's not like a retail company and also they have a certain seasons it's kind of like um when it is the season that you have to work for it will be very very busy and because it's not a very huge company, I have to, I can get to like explore different roles. Like um I can I will do my design job uh with the design team and then also work with the um with the merchandiser or the technical designer to make the things work. But at the same time I still have to uh, meet with the clients to know that oh what do they want in their store for their customers. Then I will go meet them. And our customers is um they're from Russia, they're from Korea, from more an international um area that I work for that company.
0: Just a quick follow-up question. I mean, since you used to do fashion design, mm-hmm. do, do you also design clothes for yourself?
1: You? Yeah, actually I make clothes for myself and uh, my mom have a couple pieces that I made um that she will carries around and I, I make my own tag when I was younger and then I check on it and then people will ask her about, oh, who uh, what brand is that? And then she said, oh, my, my daughter make it. And then she would just feel so happy. And myself, I'm I'm more like um reconstruction pieces because I feel like some of the pieces may be our fashions, but at the same time it is, I want to do the recycle to, um, to help the planets. So that is more uh what I would do, like maybe turning a sweater into a pants. And also it is part of me that I'm. I like having a lot of me time, um, getting into my little own bubble and create things. Uh, so that is one part that I do when I, when I just want to relax and and create
0: something and I can actually wear it. Wow, I mean, you're so multi-talented and you just have so many creative outlets because you do illustrations. You also make clothes. And of course, your career is also very fun because after your your job as a fashion designer, you switched over to the aviation industry first as a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering why you were initially interested in working as a flight attendant.
1: After a couple of years as a designer, I just feel like, oh, I I need some more inspiration and I was uh, also quite young at that time and it was my first job and I was like, oh I, I, I want to see the world and I missed the time that I was traveling so much when I was in in university during summertime I fly around places to do part-time job or even um, bringing tours just to get myself like explored to the world and I just feel like I need that time instead of stucking in a nine to five office then I just having a little mind change and thinking oh i should go for this and um i never thought i could like i would ever be a pilot and i just see that poster and thinking oh maybe i can try for this so you can al- already see that kind of poster actually impacting people when i look back is if you never see that role model on there, it's very hard to imagine yourself to be one.
0: And I know for those who grew up in Hong Kong, I think they actually talked about there's this drama, a very famous drama that's about pilots. Did you watch that drama? Did that drama have any influence on your choice in terms of becoming a pilot eventually? Um have to disappoint
1: you that I didn't <laughs> I didn't watch that and didn't really have that impact to me saying that oh I want to be one and um actually the first time that I ever uh touched an aircraft when it was when I, back into when I was in high school time that I helped her captain to paint the uh plane in his like own airfield um but then and then uh, he, he he reward me with $20, but I refused and I asked him, can you bring me up and fly? And then he said, yes. And that was the first time that I ever go on a plane. But is that impacting me being a pilot? Um, Actually, no, because at that time I was still very young. I just think, oh, life is so fun. It's just so much that I can explore and knowing what I'm good at and I'm not good at and, um, It always gives me that feeling of, oh, it's going to be a good hobby, but not a real career. Not until later I actually see that cockpit. Mm,
0: Yeah. Can you tell us more about that moment when you entered the cockpit? What happened and how did you decide that, okay, being a pilot is really something that you wanted to do?
1: Um, Actually, after being a flight attendant, um, you will have many times to get into the cockpit, but it wasn't. Um, it wasn't giving you the full pictures because you enter maybe a couple minutes or later and then you come back out. And but the one time that really making me think about this is when I was going to on a leisure travel holidays. But my seat um, as a staff, I I I sit in the cockpit, and then. On the first time that I entered, it was a very beautiful dawn time that's reflecting with the lights, the instrument lights that around me. And also the window is so huge. You actually sit down and watch that 270 degree view is just amazing. And then after that, I wasn't falling asleep because they were so busy up there and they talk to each other. They... um there's so many people coming in and asking them about all oh, this and that and then check the few And then they're also talking on the radio with the air traffic controllers. And I just feel like, oh, this is such a challenging job. And and I just I just want to do it. If they can do it, I just wanna do it. And also thinking, oh, these buttons, what do they do? They seem to be talking to me. That's um Knowing who they are, like what do they do? Each button do, and I just feel like I just want to do this job. And after so many years that I try so many things, at that moment I can really tell this is for me. This is something that
0: for me. And I'm curious, you know, on a long haul flight, right? There are multiple pilots working in the cockpit um, during a long haul flight. Do they normally just, you know, after switching on the autopilot, do they normally just sit in silence or or is there a lot of things going on? Do they still like talk constantly in the cockpit to each other? I really
1: wish uh, my job is that easy when people tell me that because like people tell me, oh, you just press that auto button, like autopilot button yeah. and then you can go to bed or go to like, I really wish my job <laughs> is like that. And actually, um, we, we have to switch and some people go rest. is because it's such a long flight and we have like limitations that we cannot exceed to make sure the safety at the back. Um, and what we would do normally when that on, oh, after the takeoff and after a certain heights, we will start to autopilot this because we want the capacity, um, to actually follow up what is going on the next 2 to 3 hours especially when we depart um we know the weather right so we know the weather when we depart but we don't know after 2 or 3 hours is it's going to turn it all over again and not as expected so we will uh, we will send all those message over and check if the if the weather upcoming is the same as what we get in our ipad and also um checking up all those airport is it still available and is there anything happened like maybe an aircraft just crashed there or maybe an aircraft just maybe not aircraft, maybe just the one way start with some oil. They have to they have to bend. Uh, planes to go on that runway which means i have less options when i have to when i have to de- deal with something emergency if someone just come in and say oh we have to land because someone is sick or uh, uh, suddenly um, we lost the engines that we cannot stay up high wh- where i can go on the left or the the right and sometimes when we go over like Himalayas area in china when we have to go to europe um those heels you just don't like you just have to make sure that you know your way to go down because once we lost the engine we do have a little bit time like she won't she won't just dive but she was slowly going down because she just can't stay up that high and those are the stuff that we will do every every like um every moment and you said oh i did this for the next two three hours that I don't have anything to do and then after an hour something change and then you have to do another two or three hour stuff so it's kind of like ongoing thing um, but we help out each other one pilot will be focusing on is the plane flying um, as well as what we expect because she's not she's like a huge baby like um the planes that i fly is the boeing triple seven She's really like, she's she she kind of moves like slowly like grandma if you see in the cockpit, but actually she flies very fast. Um and then she won't tell you, she's like a huge baby that she won't tell you that she's doing something wrong. Like baby eating candy, they won't tell you that she's doing something wrong, right? But then you have to spot that she's not doing what you want her to do. So kind of like one person will be focusing on that and the other person will be focusing on the on the on the stuff that I just mentioned and also lockdown uh, how much fuel we used in the past 30 minutes is that normal does it sounds normal to you you just have a lot of common sense in this work because you can it can tell you oh
0: you used a certain amount of fuel but it won't tell you it is wrong Wow, that's a lot going on Like from what you just described. You know, the census of all pilots are on the whole time, during the whole flight. It's like you guys are constantly analysing the weather patterns, you know, monitoring the air traffic situation. And wow, that's just... A lot of things going on. So eventually you realized you had an interest in becoming a pilot, but that's only the first step, right? What did you do in order to become a pilot? Did you start practicing through playing any video games? You know, how did you prepare yourself for the cadet pilot program selection?
1: Um, I'm actually not a fan of video games, so I never really get into that. But um, they do test on eye-hand coordinations, um so i did look into um some some games online and try to practice that knowing oh what is what is it like and also um because i'm like a white paper towards this industry and especially without that background in the beginning, actually, uh, a lot of people not thinking that I will make it because they just feel like you have been so many years uh, put down in the book and also not not in this field. And then sometimes they ask me about a certain short forms of what they stand for in aviation and I cannot answer in the very beginning stage that I want to, I said that I want to do this. Um, I, I think they're just a little bit worried about me, but then I I thought, oh, I I didn't know how to speak English. I don't know how to speak Cantonese when I born. So everything can start new. And I just feel like that. So I just take some evening classes while I'm still working full-time and try to arrange time in between. And how can I go to classes every week? and um get myself as much as that. And also because I explore that kind of interest in me already. So every flight that I go to fly, I just feel so excited. Um, even I'm in another positions in in, in the plane. I start to think, oh, um, this time we park in the gates at the echo. Uh we call E as an echo, echo two, and then um, how can I get to a certain one way? Um, so I remembered, I checked this morning, they're using this one way, so my path should be coming from here to here, and it, it should take me like five to ten minutes. So I have five to ten minutes to prepare the passenger. Like it's kind of getting my this loop into my my brain and i just get so excited every time and i would estimate looking at the weather and thinking oh it looks it looks like there is a cloud there um in two to three hours time i don't know how high we'll fly but i'm just guessing two hours later we, we may get bumps where well, i get bombs? and i just time on it and then i just feel so excited so i think all these just get me get me so happy and then i Remember that captain that um, who let me fly the little plane once uh, back in Kansas. So I kind of ring him up and also send him an email and say, "Oh, um, I have a I, I set up an annual leave coming up. Um, can I use I use all my leave? Can I just come back and and see what you're doing your little airfield um, because you're teaching people doing little aircraft. And then he said, yes. So I fly back to where I grew up, like uh, in high school. And then being a little assistant there, um, being a volunteer there, I, I refuel the aircraft with him. I wash the aircraft with him. And then he teach me about how the rivers go, like why some of them are flat, why some of them are like mushroom shaped. And all these just making me think, oh, I, I actually not just having that three minutes spark in it i actually i actually not liking it i actually liking the process and liking what i'm learning then i know that i'm not picking the wrong choice so i hit the buttons and apply for the cadet program
0: wow you went through such a process to really confirm that that's your interest that's what you want to do i mean Of course, it wasn't an easy process to go through the selection and even going through the program, right? So I'm just wondering for those who are thinking about applying for the same program that you went for, the cadet pilot program, what what advice do you have for them in terms of preparing for the program?
1: I would say um, do not wait until you're perfect uh a lot of people think that oh i just when is the debt like now because it's the uh, the recruitment resume and a lot of people just inbox me and say oh when is the deadline um i know it's very important to prepare yourself and knowing why you're going for it but at the same time you also don't wait too long because life is life is so short and also you don't know what happened next moment you don't know covid is coming you don't know like what you have to concern about the next moment, and. So I still remember in the beginning when I first having that thought uh, of, oh, I want to go for this. I have not I know nothing about this industry. Um, I have a friend that who also want to go for it. Um, and uh, I just asked him, oh, you know anything about this? Can we go look for someone that giving us a few advices that what we can do about it? And then he was the one that who helped me through that little struggling process. But then after I um, finished my training return, and then I know that he still didn't apply for it. So I just feel like life is so short. Don't like, just go for it. There's no, it's free. Like you don't pay for it, the applications. And also no matter you hit it or not, you, you have already gained experience and you know yourself better. And having that thing to try is already win like half of it.
0: Yes, I do agree with that because a lot of people, they sort of are waiting for that moment where they think they're prepared, they're ready, they're perfect. But then a lot of times it's like whether or not the answer is yes or no, you can never have tried too many times or you can never like failed enough you can never had too many interviews right so I think even just taking the first step to apply for it and even if you fail at least you gain that experience and next time when you apply for it you're better prepared so I really like the advice you just said there and then eventually of course you got selected in the cadet pilot program and you got sent to Australia for 55 weeks of intense training so, I mean, how was the training? Was it really challenging?
1: It's challenging. Some people um, did uh, mention their feeling is like taking three degrees at the same time. It's because um, it's, this, it's actually kind of like a course that you can take in Australia for three years' time, but they kind of squeeze it in a very tight timing. Is because um, of... uh. Because they also want to know that if this person can work under pressure, they're also looking for a person who can be a captain in the future, not just uh, a a pilot that can fly the plane because they can train any like almost anyone to fly a plane, but they may not able to train everyone to make decisions under pressure. So I think that is kind of why they 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 put a program like that um And the hardest part for me. Uh, actually, they have like uh, the flying part, the fun parts, and also the ground school part um, to deal with. And the ground school part comes first. And I that part is actually quite hard for me because my classmates are either... Um, engineer backgrounds or they already have some certain kind of pilot license that when they apply and also we have our ex-captain uh, on the government flying surface. Um, he has already 10 years experience in this field and they, they can just run off to have drinks during weekend but sometimes I so want to say yes but I just can't because I, I know that I sleep a lot. I sleep I I have to at least sleep eight hours a day to make myself functionable, and so I just feel also oh, pity that's in the, um during especially during the ground school I just never get the time to hang out because um I just know myself so much that if I don't work hard it's not going to happen, and um that is the hardest part that's um for me I think and when it goes into the flying part is oh a lots of fun and um. And uh, have experienced a lot of different kinds of flying. Like um, we would do the multi engine. At towards the end of the trainings, so you will have two engine and one go off, and then the plane just swing it to one side, and you have to step really hard on the rudder and hold it there with my tiny with my tiny legs, and then just hold it there until you fix the plane put in the trim and then she was stable. And then you, you land the plane and also we'll do aerobatic flights. Some of the aerobatic flights to recover from spin, um, from any abnormalities. And we will do uh, navigating trainings on your own, which means you take the plane, fly it on your own without anyone else and training up your, um, confidence.
0: Wow, and I want to know more about your first solo flight because I think that might be quite an experience, right? Um, were you nervous? You know, how was your first solo flight?
1: Um, my first solo flight, I'm um, actually not too much of touching because um, I have been prepared so much for it, and then um, and um, especially you just have to have everything correct because when you're so inexperienced. The wind cannot exceed a certain rate to put you through, and then uh, maybe the weather cannot be too hot. All these kind of things have to happen at that moment to let the instructor let me go fly on your own. So, um, and especially when I was doing my flying phase, um, it was the hottest day, like the summertime and the winter time in Australia, which some of the classes are not. Some of the classes are um, flying in the pretty spring time and then but my class wasn't and so it was something related to more on the weather and environments but if you ask me what is the most memorable flights that to me during the whole flight training it would be one time that I have already passed through halfway uh, of the flying training and then I just uh, and I just passed the test the day before and I just tell my instructor saying, oh, I'm so happy today. I'm going to relax and, and and just enjoy my flying. And then she signed me off as I have everything ready. And then I go flying on my own because it's a, a solo training. And then I go up, and then uh, after uh, after 30 minutes, the plane just start to tell me that she has a problem. It has like, it just ding 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 like that and then just tell me oh certain things is failure certain things is failure and I was like oh it's supposed to be my relaxing flight but it's not going to be relaxed <laughs> And
0: <then laughs> I just have
1: to um, make the decisions and then uh, where should I go do I go um, my destinations or should I turn back at that moment because the plane is still running like sh- She's not gonna stop by on the side of the road like a car. So she's still flying, and then I just have to make the decision right away. And then I just make sure that I'm I'm calm and then make sure that she's calm doing her thing. And then um I turn back. I decided to turn back with uh because the airfield has a lot more uh advanced equipment that i can use if i go back if i continue on my journey is not going to favor me too much um so i turn back and then finally i pick up the the radio and tell them what's happened to me but at that moment actually i wasn't as experienced uh because um i a lot of the other things i haven't learned yet but i just still tell them uh about what happened um on my plane, and then they kind of help me out, Um and I sort out myself in the copy. I know that's uh, because the the actually thing thing is telling me a lot of failures, but actually they are all related to electrics, so I kind of relay that um by common sense, thinking oh must be something related to the electrics have problem. So I turn off all the essentials, only left a few screen in front of me, and then eventually i i make it come back and then just put on the radio saying that oh i'm ready to land and and the tower already know that i'm coming in because i declare that i'm i'm not well right the plane is not doing well and then um they give me a little green light hitting there and then i will see that thing 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 like that in in my windows and i know that i can land and then at that moment i thought oh it was so great everything's happened so good and then it just boom and then there's nothing on my screen anymore. And then it was like, I have lost my flaps to slow down the speed. I have lost all my lights, lost my communication. I didn't even can say clear, like back saying or clear to land a certain aircraft is not happening. And I was like, oh no. And, then, and I, at that moment, I just say that, oh, okay, I'm going to focus on this landing because, um, that day is really hot. So it doesn't benefit me on the one-way and also because that day the, because of the wind, they use a shorter one way and I lost my uh, flaps. So three of these reasons making me that I have to really control the speed to um to land the pen well. So I just go down and in between i i also tell myself that okay if anything happened, we go around and we try it again we, we take it good like and then i land and then i i really turn out from the last little way. and i know that okay this time i land pretty good and i saved my life i i i saved the plane i didn't got any tail strike or anything which means i actually i was happy that i had an experience like that so that i can really know what i do when things happen it's not like a training it's not like the instructor by you and they turn off the engine and say oh what you do now but instead it's a real experience and it's not something that you want to ask for but it happens and um but it gave me so much of confidence and knowing that um i'm capable
0: Wow, you went through a lot in just one flight. And then initially, you (laughs) were just going to, you know, celebrate passing the test by going for kind of like a relaxing solo flight. And then everything just stopped working for you. That was so nerve wracking to listen. Just by you describing the experience, it got me like, Oh, wow, this is so stressful. But I mean it's amazing because like in such a short period of time right you assessed all the options that you had it required you to make quite a prompt decision and that decision has to be right as well and then you have to make it all in such a short time so I guess in a way do you apply the same decision making techniques in your daily lives as well oh yes actually
1: yes my friends sometimes think that I don't have an emotions not not because of that it's just because I look so calm and <laughs> and I'm already Assessing what kind of options that I can have instead of like crying out or anything like mm. that. Like it's just I think it's a kind of characters that I had, um and I kind of separate them quite well. Like putting the emotion in a box uh, when I need to, and then do the procedure that I need to do. And you only can discover that when when you really have to experience things. It's not something that you can say you have or. You just that yeah, when when just when things come and then you analyze yourself and thinking, "Oh, I actually do this because i I thought of this and and I kind of also assess myself a lot and thinking what I can improve, what can I can do better next time. And I think also this is something that um we we
0: look for in in as a pilot. But I mean, of course, going back to your life as a female pilot, I know that shortly after your training, it was 2019. And in late 2019, the pandemic hit. And one of the first industries that got hit quite badly was the aviation industry around the world. The entire industry globally just went into a standstill in most of 2020 and also 2021. So, as a pilot, was it challenging for you? Because there were barely any flights coming in and out of Hong Kong?
1: Um, actually, um, I was fully checked out and um, already uh, um, already done all the trainings after the trainings in Australia and back to Hong Kong. And after that, I still fly a bit uh, before, before the pandemic comes. And also when the pandemic comes, um, a lot of Uh, actually is a lot of cargo flights and also not the only the cargo planes fly the cargo but also like with my plane it fly cargoes and passenger we still fly the cargo so it actually is happening it's just people may not notice like where are the fruits come from where the vaccine come from it's all come from that and um but i'm also feeling like um life is like that, sometimes it just doesn't happen like what, what you expect or like the other industry, like now the restaurants and the other industry are maybe facing the same thing. And um, But I was so graceful, like I, I don't have much of the burden from uh, families that I don't have kids, I don't have uh, something that I committed to so much. Um, that's I can really have this time to do something also at what I like. Like I joined the Women's Foundations, if i was um if i was flying so much i won't be able to commit to their mentoring program and also um getting to 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 share um, more about uh, aviation to other industry and also um able to do more volunteer works like um the peer support officer in my company during the pandemic time i can really help them out with what I learned in those classes that they give me about how to listen to people but not giving too much of advice so that they can release their stress. These kind of stuff is I ne- we will never learn as a pilot because pe- people will teach you to make decisions, to tell people solutions in my job. But towards being a good listener is a totally different skill set I learn from and also joining um, the female pilot advisory group to actually having the time, sit down and work with the others and going through what kind of policy that we can have to make sure that uh, our future uh, female new joiners have a gender-free uh, working environments. These kind of things is, um, is not happening before the pandemic. So I- I'm glad that I have that time to actually work on these and also uh, working on the flying, but like I have a part of the other side of the things going on, which is also very good for the community.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. You've been keeping yourself quite busy during the pandemic because I saw um, on your social media that you've been involved in a lot of meaningful initiatives, like the one that you mentioned. And I also saw you reading stories to children, but at the same time, you also make sure that your time outside of work is also uh, meaningful. You're giving back to the society. So you have so much of my respect, Christina. (laughs) And I'm just so curious, a career as a pilot, fundamentally, what are the key qualities that are needed for a pilot?
1: Mm, As uh, I have mentioned that you have to keep learning because it's such a dynamic uh, industry and it's keep changing every day. And uh, all those charts about airport, they change every day. You just have to keep up. And we also have a kind of like, quote saying that don't trust the guy that next to you in the fly because you just have to trust what what you read and what what actually is happening um but that yeah and also um i think attention to details just like i said it is a job that you spot difference you spot the wrong out because it's not going to tell you that nah, nah, I'm i'm doing something wrong like that it's not going to be like that And also about situation awareness, um, like open your sense. I think you used the perfect word. Um, you open up all your sense. Um, in the past, when I was doing a designer, I really don't need the skills. I I can fully focus and ignore what people are talking to me and I can just keep drawing. But at this job, you cannot, you just have to, even you're working on something, your ear has to open because maybe the tower, maybe the, the air traffic controller is calling you, maybe someone is calling you for something or even if no one's calling you for long it's also something you want to notice because which means maybe you're in the uh, north pole that you enter an area that the reception is not good like something like that you have to keep questioning yourself in your job and having that self-confidence um if you know something you know something and don't don't be afraid of your Probably junior, or some people may be a lot senior to you, and they have lots of experience. Not saying that you have to be impolite, but at the same time, you also have to confident about yourself that you read those stuff, you you share with them. Um, um, especially that everyone can miss anything. Um, just raise that out, and it's better to it's better that they tell you, oh, it's it's all right. Um, I I I noticed that too. It's better than that, than you not talking and saying, oh, I may be wrong and not raising that up because almost all incidents um, happens like that. Uh, some people just not raising their voice and and it just go through that cheese, uh, inside the cheese like those holes and then it just happen. And humble yourself and, and, and learn from the senior because as I said, they have so many experience, especially some are from Air Force some are from Red Arrows, which I happened to met one. And yeah, and try to communicate uh, well, like especially um, we use English as the pirate language, but also they will hear so much of the accents from different countries. Just be open-minded and just ask them if, if this is their culture and stuff, because it will not tell you from the book.
0: Just a quick question on that, you know, as a pilot, if you're flying in an airspace where, you know, of course, the accent that's spoken there might not be something that you're too familiar with and you're really not sure what the person in the control tower is saying, are there any tips in terms of how to understand what they're saying?
1: We have a we have a phrase called uh preparations prevent poor performance we call it 4p in aviation which actually some a uh, lot of the normal stuff like what I mean normal stuff is um an, a normal flight there's something you can expect um, you will expect them they they kind of before they descend they will tell you a certain thing. They will tell you one, two, three, this kind of thing, maybe the speed, maybe maybe ask you to slow down, maybe ask you to go a certain path. So being ahead of what will go on helps you a lot of what to expect. Sure, it's not every time it's gonna be the same, but it helps a lot, especially if there is an aircraft in front of you taking the same routes to Europe, if you already know them on ground, you follow them, you're probably getting the same path as them and the same instructions as them. So you just copy their copy their copy what they're saying from last time on the paper and then when they talk to you, you know that, oh, I know it already because it's all these and then it's kind of like not... For sure, we still question, is it the same? But you kind of make it a lot easier when, uh, when you're ahead of the game.
0: And now, on living the life of a pilot, I've heard that people would always say sleep is a very crucial part for all pilots. It's essentially part of their job. Is it true? Do you live a very disciplined life yourself, Christina?
1: Actually, uh, I, I'm... I, I don't want to judge on this part but i I do I do sleep a lot I don't really uh, drink much um because I just want to control the sleep also because it helps a lot when I'm awake um normally people um after after they have different routines for myself if after a really really long tiring flights um if I land, at a daytime and i want to make myself the day still worth it like not sleeping all the day and then i wake at night i normally take like four hours sleep and then i get out and do stuff but you just have to find yourself that little little clock in your body some people are three hours and a half some people are four hours you just have to look for that like when i go to work that sleeping part i treat it as a duty i kind of tell myself this sleep is going to be a duty because if I don't sleep well, it's going to affect the rest of the flight. Um, So I tell myself not thinking anything. Try to not think of anything. A lot of people struggle is because they have so much at the back of their head and thinking maybe families, thinking about the other stuff. Um, I just feel like you can't change much if you overthink things. But if you don't sleep now, you're going to have a very poor flight in in the back because you'll be staying awake all night, um, for 20 something hours that you didn't get any sleep. And I don't want that. So, um, I kind of put it into a way like that to tell my body.
0: Yeah. And then you also bear the responsibility of flying over a few hundred passengers during the normal days as well. So now I know you mentioned a little bit about you were advocating for gender dynamics within the aviation industry among pilots. And then I know that recently there's a statistics that's saying that globally, there are only about 5% of pilots who are female, which is quite a shocking figure because... Globally, 5%, that's not a lot. So do you have any advice for women who are actually thinking of becoming a pilot?
1: Um, Yes, you're actually very correct. And um, this number, actually, if 20 years ago you look up the numbers, it's the same. It didn't go up. Um, Even you can see the numbers going up, the percentage didn't go up. I think it's really it come from different reasons like it could be the reason that i said um there's lack of role models and especially uh when I do long-haul flights. Some people does tell me that um, not just pilot, but also cabin crew, they kind of want to focus on families more, like that kind of responsibility. And um, they don't want to be away from the uh, from the baby for, for a week time without seeing them. I think this could be the reason. So um, it's kind of like we're working on the policy, how can make this easier um, for a female and not putting them down too much when they're having balance between families and and and, and work. And for um, more female to come into the industry, um, when I go to do uh, different sharings in school or organization, I just try so hard not to put it as a career talk because not everyone liking this job and I don't like pushing people to something that they don't like. It's just, I just want to inspire them. Oh, um, a pilot could look, a lot different from what they think, what they imagine. It could be long black hair like me and then I'm not quite tall and quite tiny and and uh, and I, I don't dress like one. It's just giving them another kind of uh, thoughts that, oh, actually there's a lot of opportunities out there and a lot I can do with my life and, and I just have to fight for what I want because when... In your teenager's time, you're kind of like fluctuating and don't know, don't know like where to go. And you ask your peer, your friends, your family if they're like me, coming from a very traditional family, they may just tell you to 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 go through a they will actually tell you you are a normal person. You go through a normal path. Like people will tell you stuff like that. And and so I just feel like, oh, I just wanna be that little encouragement throughout their life and seeing oh this this uh girl coming to our i I remember her that um she said i can do something with my life and then maybe 10 years later i got someone in the inbox and telling me that oh i just remember that you say that and i make it today and also it happens further than i can imagine
0: yeah I mean indeed your story you know like you transitioned from fashion designer to then a flight attendant and then now as a pilot your story essentially is inspiring everyone and telling everyone that it's never too late to start over again like what you decide to do when you're 20 you don't have to continue doing it until you're old like you can always start over at 25 at 30 at 40 even it's never too late and I know that other than working as an airline pilot you have also, as we mentioned, you've been very active speaking at different events, um, volunteering, but you also upload your own illustrations in a series called Hashtag Life Lessons from the Sky on social media. I'm just really curious, what is the most important lesson that you learned from the sky?
1: I first have to say that actually I, I wasn't really active Or even I didn't even have the uh, social media accounts like two years ago. I kind of started my Instagram um, early last year. And just because I started to go to school and then share it through my stories. And then um, I, I met so many young people. And then they just asked me so much of the intelligent questions that I won't be asking at their age. I just feel like, oh, if I want to communicate with these group of people, I have to use the way that um, they communicate, especially like I did, did some sharings with little kids, like they're seven years old, like that. You probably don't want to tell them how complicated with the engine is, right? It's more like you speak the language to communicate with them. It is also a very fun journey for me to learn. So I kind of like oh I better start something um on the social media so I can know what they really like what they what what is their languages so I started and I think oh how can I explain that what I learned in this journey instead of writing I think I express a lot better with my drawings as I really like drawing so then I start to draw out what I learned in in um, aviation and so and also giving them um, not just learning little skills in aviation but the skills in life I think that helps a lot more people than just telling them oh this engine do this thing and um, rather than this, I think the knowledge part, if they're keen, they find it online, they don't need me. So I kind of like more into like, be the peer that to, to actually encourage them not being a senior to, to say that I guide you to a certain way is more like be with them. Um, when they're when they're upset or when they're um, they struggle with um, the decisions or struggle with uh, different parts of their life they have a certain um, encouragement with them I think that's would it will be something that I really passion in
0: mm, amazing and now it's time for us to move on to the next segment and it's called rapid, rapid bias. bias. And in this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions they've got asked at some point in life. And also in Christina's case, some common biases about female pilots as well. So Christina, are you ready for all the questions? Let's go! (laughs) First question. Do you have to be very good at maths and physics to become a pilot?
1: Yeah, that's been asked a lot. And actually I'm quite good at maths because I I do a lot of calculations when I I go shopping in the outlets. And I I just try to do the calculations with the discount with all the bags in my hand. (laughs) And without taking out the calculations and telling the sales that I'm calculating the price. So when I have to do that 5%, do that 40%, and then on top have 15%, I'm pretty good at that.
0: And next up, being a pilot is too hard for a girl like you you should sit in an office with air conditioning.
1: Yeah, actually, I have a pretty good office, just like I mentioned. They have that 270 degrees view and every day is different. And also, is we don't have the air conditioning, but we have the best filter
0: air inside, in front of the aircraft. So. And next question, women are bad drivers, both cars and airplanes.
1: Yeah, that scenario comes uh, across. When people see that bad drivers, if they see that it's a female driver, they will say, oh, it's because she's a female. If if, oppositely, if I say, oh, it's it's because he's a man, it doesn't really make sense to people. Like we, every one of us have unconscious bias. Even I don't, I would say I will have some, it's
0: just awareness of having them will be good. Yeah, gender discrimination in any form is just not acceptable. Yeah. And Christina, next question is, Is your leg strong enough to operate a flight? Are you tall enough to operate a plane?
1: Yeah, I'm not quite tall, but um, I have very long arms that reach every single buttons on top that really fit the criteria of it. Um, for the strong legs part, actually, I did go to gym um, to to, to help because you, you don't just want to step in there very hard, but to hold it there is the hardest part. So I kind of, uh, during the training that um, when I was very, very tired after school, uh, after the ground school, I go to gym to kind of relax my mind, but also training my muscle um, to to hold that rudder, especially the Boeing aircraft like their controls still have a lot of pressures, it's not like a easy little clicks on it. So um, I do work on it, but yeah, it it can happen, it's possible.
0: So initially, in terms of the test, they would also test if your arm could like reach all the buttons as the very initial requirement, is that correct?
1: Um, in the past, they have their height uh, requirement, um, like. Um, and then after that, uh, they change it to a reach test to, can you really reach everything? Because actually when they first build the aircraft, um, they do, they do, I think they do tests on humans, which can try to fit everyone in it because the seat can move. Um, but definitely you, you gain a little bit more room when you, your legs are longer. If like I'm six foot or, or, or something, it will, it will make my room bigger, but. Even that so is still is still it's still working.
0: Yeah. I see. And next question: I am a female and didn't study any STEM-related subjects. Can I still become a pilot? So
1: um, this is some questions that come into my Instagram, and and I just want to encourage them. If you see me can do it, then you probably can do it because. Um, Everything can happen, and everything you can learn from scratch, and and it's
0: never too late. And next up, I'm in my late 30s. Can I still apply to become a pilot?
1: I still remember one of my friends tell me that um, he finds himself uh, having passions in another field, but he already works in his field for like eight years' time. And then he, he's kind of struggling with his thoughts because he just feel like, oh, if I waste that, my, my salary is going to go down and I just have to start all over again. But then I was like, mm, if you're thinking of wasted eight years, then if you continue in that field and you already know that that is not your passions, then you're going to throw in another 38 years in it. So that is something that I want him to rethink and, and
0: re-decide. And finally, in Rapid Bias, I did not know that female pilots existed.
1: Hi, here is one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there's not enough. <laughs> but I'll um, thank you for playing this round of Rapid Bias, Christina.
1: You're welcome. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, to conclude the episode, I just have some final questions for you, Christina. I know that recently on your Instagram, you actually shared a few illustrations that were explaining the code words that were used by pilots. I'm just wondering if there's one interesting code word or pilot saying that you could teach our audience. Um,
1: One thing that uh, we say, no questions are stupid questions. And uh, we also say, um, if you don't know, you say don't know. Because when it, we we we're being taught that to say yes a lot of the time, but sometimes you also have to say no. When you don't know something, you say no. And also when you're too busy with something, you say no. Like um, there will be some people that can help you when you have to ask for help. You ask for help. I think there's something not just in aviation, but um, but this industry just gives you a. there's something that I really like is their very direct communications. Um, we we. We don't. We if when we have a critical phases in like in the cockpit, like when we do takeoff and landing, we don't say please, please help me put the flaps to five. We don't say that. Mm-hmm. We say flaps five. Give me flaps. Like actually ask for that something. So I just uh, feel like in our daily life, sometimes we just have to be that direct. Um, people doesn't really know what you want if you if you don't say it. And I just feel like this is a very good things in relationship and with friends, with your family. If you love them, you say, I love you. And um, tell my mom, I love you. Instead of just thinking, oh, she would know that. And then, yeah. yeah and I think this is something that I learned from, from aviation and I want to share with
0: um, everyone precise clear and direct communication is definitely not appreciated enough um, in the workplace that's you know not in the aviation industry and also in personal lives and you know for those who would like to check out your illustrations to follow your work where can they find you online they can find me online on instagram and facebook
1: and uh, my name is christina ho but um it is a double t so it's kind of spelled like c-h-r-i-s-t-t I-N-A and then uh, without any hash or anything and then follow with the H-O and they awesome. can check out the, the illustrations. It's not just for kids for for everyone to get that encouragement.
0: Yes I do encourage everyone to check out Christina's work because they're just so fantastic and she also creates stickers for messenger apps as well so that's amazing. And finally Christina my last question for you is what does it mean to be proudly Hong Konger?
1: To me, I would say because I I, I born here, I raised here, and uh, especially I want to speak for the local girls that um, if you have ever faced that someone um, say no to you, like saying that you can't do something, Please trust yourself. And I love this place. I I I I I just want to do something for the community. So I will continue to do that. Our story is not ending here. And um we'll con- so after they they achieve their dreams or whatever, they can encourage the others. It's kind of like um put it forward instead of just paying
0: back to the person who, who helped you out, instead of that, you pay it forward to the to the new generation. Thank you so much, Christina, for taking the time to chat with us and being the inspiration that you are every day.
1: Thank you so much for having me again. I'm, I'm happy to be here.
0: That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong.